but again, that can all change by being part of the conversation and being part of the efforts. And, you know, we can learn from each other and advance the cause of women and other underrepresented people in the profession. Welcome to IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. Our guest for this episode is attorney Robert Maldonado. Rob's practice is focused on intellectual property litigation, including patent, trademark, copyright, false advertising, and unfair competition matters in federal court. He has extensive litigation experience at both the trial court and appellate court levels, as well as before the Patent and Trial Appeal Board, the PTAB, and the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board, TTAB. Rob's very active in the legal community with leadership roles in organizations such as the Hispanic National Bar Association, the American Bar Association, and the LGBT Law Association Foundation of Greater New York. Rob, thanks for joining us. Can you take us through your early journey? What led you to go from an engineering degree to studying law? So I studied mechanical engineering at MIT. And during my summers there, I interned at Hewlett Packard and spent some time working on various engineering projects for the company. And what I discovered through those experiences was that I didn't so much like being siloed in a cubicle, solving mathematical engineering equations. And I sort of yearned for it and desired to be more working directly uh, with people solving their problems, which is kind of what prompted me to study law. I think also in my background, I I had a family background where my mom certainly was someone who was a strong advocate for rights and for, you know, making sure that everyone's rights were protected. She wasn't involved in that as a job, but just sort of as a person, an individual. And I think that that sort of also inspired me to pursue a career in the law. And then obviously going to California was sort of one of the ambitions that I had. I had grown up on the East Coast, attended MIT in Boston, and had a desire for a change of scenery and desire to sort of live in California, see what that was like. You know, I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do that, to spend three years out on the West Coast. What led you to join Wolf Greenfield's office in New York? I started my career at an IP boutique firm here in New York City of about 20 30 lawyers and spent you know all of my career there from law school through last year and i guess what prompted me was that the you know the market had changed when i started practicing at a boutique firm there were lots of boutique firms and most of the ip work was being done by those firms and over time more and more of the larger general practice firms started instituting their own ip practices within the large firms and there were less and less boutique firms And so what sort of happened at my firm was that the firm, we kind of reduced in size. We got smaller and smaller, got to a size where it wasn't, was too small to support my practice. And so I was looking for a bigger platform to move to. And so I looked at a number of firms and Wolf was just really the best fit for me. The people that I interviewed with were all great matches for my personality and that of my colleagues who came over with me. And so we just felt it was a great fit. The New York office is about the same size as my prior firm. So we have that sort of smaller office congeniality here in New York, but we're still part of a larger firm that has a lot more resources that support my practice. You joined Wolf in 2020. Did you have a chance to meet some of your new colleagues in person before COVID really shut things down? We met a couple of people in person before we actually joined the firm, but most people we did not meet in person. And so, you know, I've been coming to the office, you know, physically into the office at least a couple of times a week for quite a while now, probably for almost a year now. And I've also visited the Boston office a few times. So I've been able to meet people in person uh, from the Boston office. And so as time has gone on, it's become more and more 
real. And I look forward to the day when we're all back in the office. In addition to your IP law practice, you have a long history of involvement with diversity programs. Can you tell us about your efforts in this regard? I've been involved in diversity-related work since I was 18 years old, since I started as a freshman in college. I first participated in a program at MIT called MITES, which is a minority introduction to science and engineering. And this was a program to acclimate students like myself to the rigors of an MIT education. It was really instructive and really helpful, and I really appreciated the support and the the support network that the program provided. It was very valuable to me, and I interned in the office that ran the program, which was called the Office of Minority Education at MIT. And I worked there for you know three years as an intern. I started a newsletter, which brought you know the issues and opportunities available to students of color and underrepresented minority students. Brought the information to the forefront so that they knew about it, and they knew about you know applying for scholarships, applying for externships, internships, whatever. And just putting the information out there, and it was very valuable. And I was recognized by the provost of MIT for my efforts um, in that regard. And I been involved in efforts like that ever since. So not only in college, but also in law school. And then as a lawyer, as when I became a lawyer, then I became involved with the Hispanic National Bar Association. This association, it supports Latino um, legal professionals at all levels. Uh, we support law students, we support college students and getting them to go to law school, helping to support law students once they're in law school through mentorship, through other programs like career fairs and instructive programs on skill building, etc. And then also helping once these law students become lawyers, helping them to be successful lawyers and you know, helping them find the right firm, finding you know the right in-house opportunity, connecting people is you know a big part of the practice of laws, having good connections um, and knowing people that can help support you. And so that's always been very essential part of my core and something that I've um, dedicated myself to. And so it was a great opportunity for me to become national president about five years ago and to serve in that role and to you know help the Latino professionals advance in their careers. Rob, you mentioned your mother's influence just a while ago. Can you shed a little light on that? My mom, yes. One of my earliest memories is when I was in middle school. Well, first of all, I back up to where I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, my parents were both from Puerto Rico and neither had attended college. They got married here in New York. My sister and I were both born in Brooklyn. And when we were young children, they decided to move out to Long Island because they wanted to provide a better life for their children. So they moved to the suburbs of the city, to Long Island. And I grew up in a town called Farmingdale on Long Island, which was a very white town. And we were the only Hispanic family in the town. And so it was, you know, a challenge growing up in that environment and being the odd man out, so to speak. And the education, you know, I was always kind of a bookworm. I was always reading books. I was always very smart. And I was not feeling challenged in the school systems of that district. And my mom wanted me to go to a private boys' school, parochial school, called Chaminade. And as it turned out, by, you know, at, at the time that she found out about it and wanted me to apply, we had missed some deadline for some tests or your entrance exam that you're supposed to take. And she, you know, she was in, very determined that I would go there. And so she was sort of the type of person who would not take no for an answer. And so I don't know what she did, but somehow she 
did whatever she needed to do to make sure that I got into the school. And so I did get in and I did go to that school and I, you know, graduated number three in my class. And it was just, you know, a great opportunity for me. I think the message that she drove home to me was all the opportunities that you want, you can have them. You know, there's no doors that are closed to you. And so that sort of prompted me, I think, a lot in what I do and who I am and how I approach my life and my career. How has dealing with diversity changed from when you started in law almost 30 years ago to today? Well, I think that the conversation has changed a lot, certainly over the last 30 years. And now there's a lot more awareness. For example, at my firm and other firms, you have diversity training programs. People are you know, taught about it. They're taught about skills for dealing with it. People teach you about things like implicit bias, which are your inherent biases against certain people that you're not even aware of or may not be aware of. And, you know, this is something people didn't talk about in the 80s and people weren't aware of. And so there's been a lot of progress, I think, made in educating people and making them aware, making people sensitive to the issues facing diverse peoples. And so I think all of that has been great and very positive. And, you know, there's still a lot to be done in terms of how this plays out in terms of actual advancement within the profession, for example. And, you know, even as far as retaining diverse lawyers in the profession, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. But I think, you know, the the playing field has changed a lot and it's helpful. I think there's more people involved now in the discussion and the conversation, including non-diverse people, you know, more allies uh, than there probably were back in the 80s. And so um, it makes it a lot more of a um, all hands in kind of effort. And that's really uplifting. Rob, if we try to measure the progress of diversity in the workplace, are the numbers where they should be? No, they're not where they should be. I'd say if you look at Latinos as a percentage of the population, you're looking at maybe like 20, 25%, I believe, of the population is Hispanic. If you look at lawyers, the number is about 4.2% of lawyers are Hispanic, which is very low. And the number has been that low for quite some time. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of work to be done there. A lot of the associations, like bar associations, especially uh, the Hispanic bar, is very active in trying to move those numbers. One of the things that the Hispanic bar is very active in is getting Latinos um, appointed to the federal judiciary. And so I think as you see more Latinos in positions of influence and power, like judges in government, et cetera, in corporations, in law firms. You know, as uh, as uh, Hispanics become more in positions of power, then they'll be able to influence change. And because the change has to come from the top um, in terms of priorities and recruitment and, and the diversity efforts. So, um, you know, I see all of that, you know, opportunities for changes. And I see, you know, a lot of, a lot of commitment to that. For example, at Wolf Greenfield, the recently just hired a diversity director, which is leading the firm's diversity efforts. And it's, you know, a very in-depth program to uh, make our attorneys aware of the issues, to gauge their feedback, to provide training, et cetera. And so there is a real commitment to, to change. The National Conference of Women's Bar Associations has a program that's designed to educate male lawyers about the benefits that the legal profession reaps from diversity and equity and inclusion programs. Their program's called Guys Overcoming Obstacles to Diversity or Good Guys. And Rob, you were part of a panel discussing recommendations for moving beyond the status quo and engaging male lawyers. In a nutshell, what's the hang-up for men? 
a program that was run by the ABA. It was actually a really great program and great speakers, etc. You know, it talked about, you know, getting men involved in the conversation, because as I just mentioned, the people in power are the people who can make change in positions of power in law firms, corporations, usually are white men. You know, the our vast majority are white men. And so, you know, inviting them to the table and inviting them to participate in conversations, how are we going to change this? How are we going to, you know, bring women into the mix and bringing them and elevating them, promoting them, giving them the same opportunities, the same responsibilities, the same pay opportunities that men have? And having them being part of that conversation is very important. And so, you know, part of there was a study that was done by the ABA called Men in the Mix. And it was an in-depth study about, you know, what are the, for example, what are the obstacles that men have to getting involved in promoting women in the profession? And a lot of the respondents mentioned that they are they feel like they're not invited into the conversation. And so part of it is inviting the men to participate and become a part of making this change. A lot of respondents felt uncomfortable. They felt like outsiders because they're not women. So maybe they don't really know what to say. A lot of them said that they're afraid to say the wrong thing. You know, they feel uncomfortable about offending and not really understanding the issues from a woman's perspective. But again, that can all change by being part of the conversation and being part of the efforts. And, you know, we can learn from each other and advance the cause of women and other underrepresented people in the profession. Rob, what do you tell young people who are considering a career in law, especially those who may have a STEM background? I tell them practice of law is a great opportunity to really make changes in society and in institutions um, within society. And, you know, you have a lot of power and influence as a lawyer. And it's really could be incredible at times. And there's so many opportunities once you become a lawyer of what you can do and what direction your career takes. It could even be a non-legal career, uh, but having the legal background uh, really influences you. Because, you know, one of the things I learned in law school is you don't really realize how much the law determines everything in your life. You know, how you live every aspect of your life is determined by the laws. And so having an understanding of that and having, you know, when you're a lawyer, people listen to you. You sort of have a status, you know, you've gone to law school, you practice law, and you kind of know what you're talking about for the most part. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'd say, you know, having the engineering and science background and the legal background combined, that's a, the best of both worlds. You know, I would say to young students in STEM areas, one of the things, if you're thinking about law, you know, make sure that you pay attention to your writing skills. Don't just focus on science and engineering, but also focus on the other part of being a good student. And that's your writing skills, your interpersonal skills, etc. And, you know, take a legal course as a engineering student. I did it. And it, you know, opened my eyes to other opportunities. And also, I guess another thing I would say is get involved in organizations that are sort of the STEM and legal combined organizations that can sort of stimulate uh, both sides of your brain. Those are the tidbits of advice that I would offer. Finally, biggest wish for 2022. The main thing for 2022 is hopefully getting us all back together again in person. I think in-person interactions in the office are vital and crucial to a vibrant practice and a healthy practice. So hopefully, you know, we'll all be together sharing thoughts, sharing ideas in the same physical space in 2022. Our thanks to attorney Rob Maldonado for sharing his thoughts with us on IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield. We hope you'll subscribe to our series on conversations related to IP matters on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on legal matters related to IP, we invite you to visit our website at www.wolfgreenfield.com. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of IP Talk with Wolf Greenfield.